Welcome to the Bartender Atlas Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lindley. On this episode, you're going to hear a talk that I had with Chris Cabrera. Chris is an ambassador for Grey Goose based out of New York. But on this episode, we talk more about how they grew into their role as an activist within the beverage industry. This is one of my favorite episodes so far, not only because of the subject matter, but because even though the video conferencing gods were against us, Chris was still so gracious and so open with their story. And now you can hear that story on the Bartender Atlas podcast. So on the Bartender Atlas podcast, we talk with leaders in the industry or sometimes people maybe you've never heard of. What's important is we want to know how these people get here uh, today, dealing with Chris Cabrera. First big question, the way that all of them start, where did you grow up? I grew up in Austin, Texas. How long were you there for? Well, I'm originally originally from El Paso, Texas, but I moved to Austin uh, when I was 17. So I kind of always say that I'm from Austin now because all my family, live, my immediate family lives here. And this is really where I became or started becoming who I was meant to be. I'm going to go back before Austin then. Uh, growing up in El Paso, what sort of school did you go to? So um, I went to, you know, public school. Um you know, back, I, I'm about to be 42, um, in a month or so. So I, you know, I, it was the early eighties. Um, but yeah, just public school, um, you know, all through high school. And then once I graduated, I, I kind of El Paso, uh, was a very conservative, uh, city and kind of, um, very religious city. And, you know, once I found out, you know, who, who I was and, you know, once I knew that I was, I was gay, um, I, I knew that I was going to have to go somewhere more accepting so I could explore and become, you know, become me. Quick diversion right away. Usually this doesn't happen until 15 or 20 minutes in, but if you say you're about 42 and you grew up in El Paso, did you ever cross paths with Beto? <laughs> no, no. Actually, that's my dad's name. Um, but oh, no, really? uh, never crossed paths with him. Mm -mm. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest with you, because I left so long ago and you know, I left when I was still a kid, I, you know, my, my memories of El Paso now are very um, spotty. Like I can remember certain things of my childhood and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, for me, I almost ran away, if that makes sense. Sure. So it was kind of putting that part um of my life behind me to really, I had to leave everything behind to become who, you know, who I wanted to be and live my life the way I wanted to live it. So I, I it was almost kind of switching gears and, and just pivoting to a whole new, a whole new life. Before you left and went to Austin, was there anything in El Paso that you did outside of school stuff and, and generally feeling uh, like an outsider, was there something that you ever got involved with, whether it was sports or music or anything, uh, when you were in El Paso that you did to sort of pass time outside of school? Yeah. You know, it, my, my adolescence was crazy. I came from a very, at the time, my family was really religious. And so it really kind of, uh, kept me and my sisters very kind of confined to only hanging out with people of that religion. And so, you know, trying to navigate adolescence is hard enough. Um, but trying to, you know, I was having all these, you know, it, for some reason as a teenager, you know, going in when you start, you know, 11, 12, I just never really, uh, had feelings for, for boys, you know, and I really thought that that was just part of growing up 
that, you know, I was supposed to have crushes on my girlfriends that, you know, and I was supposed to, you know, eventually, you know, I would start to be attracted to, to boys and, and everything would kind of evolve naturally. And, um, and so when that didn't, you know, I, I found myself just, I just really kept to myself. Um, to be honest, uh, I, I didn't really felt, I felt like I was the only person going through this because a, I didn't know any gay people. Um, you know, it was, like I said, very conservative and my family was very religious. And so it, it, I was just, everything was very foreign to me. I, I really felt like I was alone on this, on this Island, you know, trying to figure out. And it was, it was back, you know, in like the early nineties, mid nineties. So we didn't have all the information that's available today to queer, to LGBTQ plus youth. So really my adolescence was just, I just tried to get through it um, and, and survive to be honest with you. Obviously you decide to move to Austin, which, um, you know, I've only been to Austin once, but I feel like the general feeling of Austin is that it is an oasis in the middle of Texas. Yes. Call it, uh, it's a little blue Island in a big red sea. Yeah. A lot of major American cities are exactly that. When you got to Austin, did you do any post-secondary education stuff? No, um, no, my, uh, my mom always likes to say I went to the school of life, which is awesome, but I didn't, school wasn't really for me. That's not really how, um, my mind worked, how I learned. I was more of kind of learning as I, I'd like to, I like to see and do things, crafts or more my thing. That's why I think I picked up, um, cooking, um, you know, um, going to culinary school. I did go to culinary school, um, in 2007, to 2009, I actually was living in Austin and kind of, you know, just doing jobs, working at restaurants, bartending, serving, you know, just trying to, um, it took me a little longer to really figure out my passion, what I was passionate about, what I wanted my career to be. Um, for some people it comes right away and, and you know, I mean, you know, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to school. And, but for me, I, it, it was, it wasn't that A to B. You know, there was a lot of obstacles and me trying to figure out, you know, where I where I fit in this world. And I started kind of just cooking very, you know, as a hobby. And it just became this I really well, A, I was really good at it. And so I decided to to run with it. And uh, I applied to the Culinary Institute of America, CIA and St. Helena in Napa, California, and I got accepted. So I moved from Austin to uh to San Francisco. And I think that's just really where my career just kind of took off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, San Francisco. And I think, you know, coming from Texas, it was, it was a very, it was a culture shock because even though I lived in the most progressive city in Texas, I mean, San Francisco is this whole other world and it, you know, it, it was so amazing. You know, I really, I, I there were so many like fruits and vegetables I'd really never experienced. Um, and, you know, just culture and, you know, the pageantry of like fine dining was something very new to me. You know, I, I was 29 years old and I figured out, you know, what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a chef and, you know, go to, you know, at that time, San Francisco was one of the best places in the country for, you know, food and cooking, and agriculture. And so I was kind of in the Mecca and I, and I ran with it a little bit and, uh, I started cooking and, you know, because I, I went on scholarship, I also had to work. And so um, I was able to uh, find a job in San Francisco working for Elizabeth Faulkner. And she's a celebrity a chef and she's also uh, queer. 
And so I was, you know, working for her, just cocktail waitressing, really, um, because my passion was, was, you know, learning, you know, going to culinary school. And the way I became a bartender, it's the funniest story. Um, I'll never forget it. Uh, I was actually cooking one day um, at the restaurant and uh, Chef Faulkner came in and she was like, you know, I'm I'm going to be doing a ladies night um, on Thursdays now, you know, and I want you to bartend. Have you ever bartended before? And uh, I was like, no, chef, I've never bartended. I'm, you know, I'm I want to be a chef. I want to cook. And she's like, well. I think you're really hot, so I want you on point. So I, w- I want you to learn how to bartend, and that's how I started bartending. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's not the first time I've heard that story about yeah. uh, how someone got their first bartending job. Yeah, I had no experience, and you know, I you know she wanted me to be the face of Ladies' Night, you know, because um, she was a very famous lesbian chef, yeah. so she had a huge following, especially in San Francisco. So it was like, you know, people like Rachel Maddow and Jane Lynch, you know, the, they would all come in and sit at the bar um, because they knew her. So that I started bartending and I realized, um, A, I really liked the social aspect of it because when you're cooking, it's a very kind of quiet. I worked in Mission Star restaurants and, I, you know, I cooked in Mission Star restaurants and it's very quiet and very just pristine and it's very serious you know, um, yeah. your head is down, you know, you can hear a pen drop in the kitchen. Just, it's a, and so kind of going into bartending was just so much, it just fit my personality so much more. And I found that I could create cocktails like I cook and base my cocktails on seasons and, and, you know, make my cocktails as fresh as I could. So I kind of very slowly transitioned out of, of cooking and, and made bartending craft cocktail bartending my, my full-time career. I'm going to get back to craft cocktails and where you worked and making that your full-time career in a second. So you said you moved to Austin when you were 17 and then you really fell in love with cooking around 28, 29. What were some of the in-between experiences? What happened in that like <laughs> seven, eight, nine year space? And how does that shape uh, how you dealt with learning to cook and learning to bartend? Did, was there any like incredible life experiences, good or bad, that shaped what happened afterwards? Yes, actually, I was, um, I think probably around um, 19, I really decided that, you know, it's kind of like a, a wild kid, um, you know, um, when when I came out uh, at 17, I came out right before I graduated from high school. Uh, it was tough. My family had a really hard time with it. So um, I really... Um, kind of had to give up uh, the life that I had, you know, to pursue the life that I was meant for. And so, you know, I, I got into some, you know, I was a, not a deviant, but, you know, I was a kid living on the street. So I had to do what I, I had to do what I had to do to survive. And, you know, I needed, you know, some structure in my life and I knew that I needed to get out of the life that I was in. So um, like, you know, many lost, you know, kids do, I joined the military Oh wow! And uh, yeah, I joined the Navy and I was able to, you know, in the time that I was in the Navy, I was able to like really, really bust my ass. And I took uh, some aptitude tests and I took some, you know, college courses and I was able to start training as an officer. And so I was stationed on the John C. Stennis. It was an aircraft carrier out of uh, San Diego. 
And so, yeah, I was, I was a sailor for a few years. And after that, it was just really kind of odd jobs. There was not really anything that I did, but I mean, the Navy was huge for me. I really loved it. And I, I loved the structure of it. And I loved being able to really just have something that to be proud of, you know, and to fight for my country was, was really amazing for me. The only reason I didn't stay, I think I could have probably made a full-time career out of it and been happy. Um, the only problem is it was during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And so I, w- I had to hide uh, being in the closet. So, you know, f- for a lot of my life, up until I left the Navy, I was there was always a part of me just hiding who I was. And, you know, at, at 22, I was like, you know, I can't do this anymore. I can't. I'm tired of, of not being able to like share my, my whole life and be open and, and, and having to divide my life into two parts, my personal and professional, you know? And so, uh, I left and, you know, just came back to, to Austin and, you know, worked as serve, uh, serving and like bartending jobs, but like at places like Outback and, you know, chain, chain spots and just trying to, uh, you know, figure out, just trying to figure, find my way, to be honest. I want to say two things about bravery <laughs> that I'm picking up from this. One, in the early 2000s, you decided to join the armed forces, which is one level of bravery for sure, especially as an American <laughs> at that time. And all of the skirmishes, some of them still going on. That's a level of bravery that I feel needs to be commended. And then to walk away from it, knowing that you couldn't fully be yourself, even if you had decided to defend your country in that way. And the idea that you couldn't be fully yourself and, and left this other commitment. Uh, again, like the level of bravery is something that not many people possess. Oh, well, thank you for saying so. You know, uh, I, it's crazy. My people call me brave and, and I don't, I always kind of struggle with being able to see myself as brave. The, the way I've kind of, you know, the way I see it is I've just, I just had to do, I had to do what I had to do to be my most authentic self, you know, and if that means that I'm brave, then, then I'll take it. You know, um, I think at a very early age and, you know, my, my grand, my grandmother and my, my parents will attest to this. I've just, I've always kind of had my eye on, on like my grandmother always tells me, you know, ever since you were, you were little, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't wait to get out of El Paso. You were going to be somebody, you were going to be big. You didn't know what you were going to do, but you were, you know, you were going to, you were going to get out as fast as you could. And, you know, she tells me these stories and I'm like, you know, it's just something that I've just always done. I, I, I never wanted to, once I left the military, I never wanted to hide or sacrifice who I, who I am. You know, I always wanted to be as true to myself as I possibly could be. That's yeah. I mean, like you said, you're iffy about brave, so I'm not going to say that it is very commendable though. It's okay. It just makes me (laughs) blush a little bit. (laughs) So you leave the military and then you're back in Austin. And as we touched on, Austin is definitely a very blue dot, a very liberal city. Did you feel like there was more of an LGBTQ plus community there that you could really be a part of? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Austin has a great, it's a great city. Um, and you know, back then it was, Austin was very different, you know, than it is right now. You know, right now it's kind of like this booming, you know, progressive town where people from the West and East coast are moving in and, you know, Apple's open, you know, building a new, a new campus here, you know, Tesla's coming here. So, 
it's really kind of just bursting at the seams with all this creativeness and all these people that are just kind of coming, looking for like, you know, kind of like a small town vibe in a, in a, in a city. When I lived here in Austin, it was kind of very hippie, very like keep Austin weird vibe. Um, and you know, the, the queer scene was, it was active and, you know, we had our pride parades. They were small, maybe like a few blocks, you know, nothing crazy. Like I experienced say living in New York or I experienced in San Francisco, but I would, I would say that it had a thriving LGBTQ community. With festivals like Austin city limits and uh, South by Southwest and all these things going on, you know, uh, definitely left leaning and everyone's a little more open once you get to dealing with artists and musicians. Right. Of course. And, you know, when I I remember when Austin City Limits and South by Southwest first, you know, first were created, the first um, South by Southwest, actually, it was nothing the way it is now. I mean, it has just, you know, kind of bloomed into this whole, you know, this whole energy. It's crazy. But when the first South by Southwest, I remember going to um, I got wind that Iggy and the Stooges were going to be playing at a record store in Sick. South Congress. <laughs> yeah. In South Austin at some like divey little record store. And I was like, what? So, I mean, that's the way South by Southwest used to be. It's like you would catch wind of who was like, there'd be like these late night, like, you know, uh, shows. And if you caught wind, you, you know, if you first come, you know, first serve kind of thing. Um, and it's crazy to like come back now to the city and and see how much it's changed i haven't lived here and going on 13 years and Mm -hmm. it's it's a whole new beast yeah wow that's i can't imagine the changes actually back on your career path here so you're cooking in san francisco um and you get asked to be a bartender you're dealing with jane lynch and rachel maddow and uh where do you go you you said you'd fall in love with cooking uh you start falling in love with craft cocktails where do you go from there what's your first real real bartending job in san francisco so the so i you know with anything that i do um i just kind of anything that i'm passionate about i put my head down and i give it my 150 percent i you know i will overwork i will work every day i'll work seven days a week until i master or at least i i can consider myself a master at that craft you know and and it's always like, for me, it's I, how much more can I learn? And I'm only really at my best when I'm being challenged, you know, and when I'm learning. And so I was fortunate enough. And this is 2007, 2008 was like when the, the cocktail scene was just, you know, coming to into fruition, um, you know, and it was really back then it was all about like speakeasy feels like Billie Holiday and you know, on every, you know, uh, playing and every cocktail bar, you know, you had your suspenders and, you know, you know, bow ties and all that stuff. And I did definitely drink the Kool-Aid. My first cocktail job was at 15 Romolo, mm-hmm. which is, you know, one of, in my opinion, still one of the best bars in the, in the country. And, you know, it was this cocktail bar in North Beach, San Francisco. Um, I was the first female bartender that they had uh, hired back then before I became non-binary. So I was the first uh, female um, bartender and it was great. You know, I, I learned so much. And from there, just kind of, um, you know, I worked there for a couple of years. And once I kind of, I felt like I plateaued, you know, I wanted to, I had missed because 15 Romola was just a cocktail bar. We had like bar food, but it was, you went there for the drinks and I started to miss cooking and I started to miss the pageantry and, you know, everything that comes with fine dining and, and working in that, you know, area. So 
I went back, I started running a bar program in a Mission Star restaurant. And that way I could, you know, still be close to chefs and get their opinions and work with them on my cocktails and, you know, have all the fresh produce and everything I could possibly want to work with as a cocktail bartender, but in a, you know, a fine dining restaurant. That's an amazing use of whatever resources you have, right? And, and making yourself prepared to take on whatever resources make themselves available. It sounds like you've really built up a bunch of skills, even at that point, uh, that you can take advantage of things that are presented to you. Yes. I mean, that's, for me, it's always, um, like I said, I'm, I'm at my best when I'm being challenged and when I'm learning. And so, you know, being able to work, um, in fine dining and work, you know, working side by side with, you know, amazing, talented chefs and bouncing ideas off them, them coming to me with say, Hey, I have this, this new fruit. Do you think maybe what, what, what can we do with it? How about these new flowers? And, you know, just kind of, it's creating cocktails and, and putting flavors together, um, is actually as an ambassador, something I miss, um, but now it's just more of, um, you know, cooking for me has just become more of a hobby. It's something I do, um, to, uh, to actually let off steam and just to relax. I know, I know cooking stresses out a lot of people, but for me, it's, it's very relaxing to be cooking like seven things at once and like cutting and prepping and, you know, getting your mise en place ready for me. I don't know why it's super therapeutic. <laughs> I mean, there's something very Zen about doing the same task repeatedly, right? And like making sure yeah. that your onions are all diced to the exact same size, exactly. uh, you know, for instance, <laughs> After bartending, so this was all in San Francisco, what was the transition like? And obviously you were bartending for a little bit before moving into your Grey Goose role. What, uh, what's the sort of in-between there? So, all right. So in 2008 in San Francisco, this San Francisco uh, Chronicle, the newspaper created San Francisco Bar Stars, which quickly became the most highest recognized accolade you could receive as a bartender. And every year they would pick five individuals who were leading and, you know, in, in their creation or leading in their leadership or that change that were changing the game in the city. And so in 2008, at this point, I had been bartending for about six months. And I, you know, I said to myself, I'm going to get that one year. That's going to be mine. And so, you know, unbeknown to me, I think subconsciously, I just, I started striving for that. And so everything I did was with that, I was my eye on the prize, which was that, you know, and, and so, and the, you know, from 2007 to 2018, I just kind of, I wanted to do everything. Like I wanted to learn as much as I could, but I wanted everyone to know who I was. And, And believe you me, in an industry back then that was still and it's still our industry right now. It was very kind of cisgender, straight white men. I didn't look the part. I've never looked the part. Um, but I fought. I fought. I fought for visibility. I stayed vigilant. You know, I fought um, to, to be seen. And, you know, if you didn't want to see me, I was going to show up so you could see me. And, you know, I became, an, um, after bartending for about five years, I wanted to become a consultant and kind of start opening my own places. And mind you, like none of the bars that I, none of the menus I created or the restaurants or bars that I opened never really got any kind of um, recognition from award shows or whatnot. But, you know, they were kind of more neighborhood bars. I really liked it. I really had a good time, you know, being a consultant and, and learning. Um, 
But in 2016, I was very happy uh, because I received Bar Star. You got it. I got it. And unbeknown to me, I was the first LGBTQ person to get it, which is crazy because up until then there had been, um, you know, 70 alumni. Yeah. 10 of, 10 of 15 of them, which were women. And I was the only first and only queer person to receive it in 2018 my friend Simone Mims uh, received it and so once I received that award in 2016 for me that was kind of the tippity top of the mountain I I didn't really you know it was kind of almost like a mic drop moment when I received it I was so happy and you know I was just like I looked back on on you know everything I had been doing since 2007 and and how hard I had been working and it just it felt so good and um I was like all right so I got bar star you know I'm you know now one of the most well-respected you know bartenders in San Francisco what's the next challenge you know uh, I needed you know I I wanted something new and uh I had Bacardi um had been you know I've been working with Bacardi um, doing like they had sent me on a few brand, uh, brand trips. I got to go on a brand trip with Grey Goose. I got to go actually see where Grey Goose was made. Um, they took us to the Paris Bar Show. They took a handful of bartenders. We got to um, we have a chateau in Cognac, so I was able to visit that our blending facility. And I really fell in love with the brand, and I fell in love with the company. Uh, Bacardi is such a great company, so innovative, and uh, I I didn't really know they were kind of grooming me <laughs> right. so to speak and in 2018 they created uh the gray goose uh ambassador program and so they hired a certain amount of um ambassadors all over the country who were top in their in you know in their in their city top bartenders in their city and uh they asked me my good friend julian afon he uh, who works for uh, bacardi and gray goose he asked me if i was willing to to make a change and if he, he thought I'd be perfect in New York, you know, under this role. And, uh, you know, I said, yes, I've always wanted to live in New York City. Um, I feel New York City is one of the best cities in the world. It's where everything starts and kind of trickles down to the rest of the country. Trends are started there. Fashion, I mean, through fashion, food, cocktails. I mean, it's really the mecca of, of where creative, you know, it's just this creative mecca. And, you know, when you win in New York, I mean, you win everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you win in New York, you're, you're recognized for it, but you're not only recognized for it, you know, you're not only recognized for it in New York, you're recognized all over the world for it. And so I thought, you know, I thought that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to try, try my talents as an ambassador. And when you were obviously, like you said, you were sort of being groomed for this, uh, this job and everyone, everyone knew everything about you. So much of what you do now is so focused on centering the LGBTQ plus community. Was that in the discussions when you were talking about taking on this gig? Or is that something that because, as we've established, when you're being you, that's when you're your best. Is it something that just comes along with you? You hire Chris. This is what you get. Uh, you know, I it wasn't discussed, actually. When I sat down to have the discussion with you know my boss now, Matt uh, Titus and Julian, it was more of they thought I'd be perfect in the role because they thought that I would bring something different to Grand Goose. You know, that w- that's what Julian said. Um, it was just, you know, I didn't really know what to expect from this role. You know, as an ambassador, you're giving certain protocols, certain, you know, guidelines in which, you know, and, and, and certain tasks that you need to complete. 
uh, so they can track your success and you're always representing the brand. And so for me, I don't think they knew they were asking me to do this and I, I don't, you know, but I think they wanted me to almost to focus on the LGBTQ plus community. When I came to, when I moved to New York and I got settled, I realized being part of the queer community that Grey Goose didn't, doesn't have had any, any presence, any visibility. It's always been about Stoli and Sky and Smirnoff and uh, Absolute, but there were no um, premium vodkas that were really kind were, that were really on the support. Kettle One, of course, does a lot of support. And I thought, you know what, Grey Goose, Grey Goose can be, should be part of this, this community. First of all, vodka is a huge spirit. It's the biggest spirit in the LGBTQ plus community. And I was part of the community. So it's just, it was a kind of very natural way for me to pivot. I didn't really think about it. It's just what I started doing in the field. And because I'm also indigenous and Latinx, um, I also started focusing on the multicultural um, community. So, you know, very naturally, I was already, you know, I was already working in Harlem. I already had, I had accounts in Harlem, in the Bronx, you know, in Queens. So it really, it became my niche without me even thinking about trying to make it my niche. It's just something that I just naturally gravitated to. You were just being you. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) That's the best kind of ambassador. (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> uh, so if we've already established you did some work in food and obviously you've done some stuff with drinks, if you weren't working with Grey Goose right now, what do you think you'd be doing outside of the realm of service industry stuff? Oh, you know, it's, I think I, activism, I, I, I never knew I had it in me. You know, I've always, I've always had to survive, you know, and so it's never that I couldn't, I didn't think of other people, but my, you know, main objective was just surviving and surviving as my true authentic self. And so, you know, I didn't realize when I was doing that, when I was surviving and the decision I was making, me was grooming me to, to get to this point in my life now at 42 years old to now help the next generation of POC and LGBTQ plus, um, people. It really, really kind of, um, fully happened through this pandemic. I was, you know, doing stuff. In, and I, like I said, I created my niche these last two years working with Grey Goose through these communities, the communities I was part of, but it was really when the pandemic hit that my main priority through this whole pandemic has been taking care of the LGBTQ plus community because, our community has been through something like this before, not to, not to the gravity it was before, but the AIDS epidemic in the eighties for a long time, the government and society did not want to recognize that, you know, AIDS because it was known as the gay plague. And so it was really left up to the queer community to take care of ourselves. We took care of, of the sick and dying. And we, we, you know, we, we made sure that they had housing and food and they were cared for because they were ostracized by the rest of society. And so when this pandemic hit very naturally, I just wanted to take, make sure that my community was cared for because I knew, I knew the, the multicultural and LGBTQ plus community were going to be the ones that were hit the hardest from this pandemic. And so I think naturally I, I started finding ways to, you know, um, to raise money and, and to get 
you know, people fed and to get people paid. And with what little budget Grey Goose gave me, because, you know, everyone, everyone was affected about by this, you know, worldwide, you know, whatever I had, I, I kind of just funneled it right into the community by feeding them and, and getting them paid and finding ways to help them. And it's just kind of progressed to, you know, a, a place where now I'm just, it's a full-time job for me. So I, you know, I've been making the joke these, you know, this past month, especially, you know, now, now that pride month is ending, um, that I have two full-time jobs now. I'm a full-time Grey Goose ambassador and a full-time activist. So I feel if, if I didn't, you know, but the thing is, I, I want to stay in this industry. Like I want to be an activist within this industry because there's a lot of work to do now that people like myself are, are given a platform. And now that everyone is listening to people like myself, I feel that it's my duty and my responsibility as an older queer person to empower and give visibility to as many people from my community as possible. That's incredibly noble of you. Also, just going to put it out there, uh, older person in the realm of bartending, which let's be honest, is a lot of white dudes, 60 and up, uh, 42, 42, you're doing just fine. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hot on your heels as well. I'm maybe just doing this to protect myself, but, uh, yeah, 42, you're doing just fine. I'm going to touch on this. We haven't, it hasn't come up yet, but word on the street is, uh, Frida Kahlo is your muse. Frida Kahlo is, is who you look up to most. Um, when did you first fall in love with her and her work and how does she speak through you at this point? Oh, Frida Kahlo. She's, yeah. Uh, I'm sure Stephanie told you, I, I took Stephanie, we went to her, her, um, her museum and her house in uh, Goyacan in Mexico. And I remember uh, when we left, I told Stephanie, I was like, can we just go drink some tequila? And I just want to revel in what I just experienced right now. Um, you know, and Steph of course obliged me and we would have had a couple of Modelo's and some tequila, but I think Frida Kahlo is, I fell in love with her about, probably in my early twenties. Um, I discovered her in my early twenties. I mean, I always knew who she was, but I really didn't start following her and her work and who, who she wasn't as an individual until then. And I think I just, I am inspired by her, her bravery and how she just lived her life for, for herself. You know, she was openly bisexual and this was in Mexico city, you know, in the thirties and forties, you know, and so this wasn't a time where you could be open about it, but she was unapologetic about who she was. She was unapologetic about, you know, who she loved. And she was just this, this wonderful artist who inspired, you know, people through her work and her words. And so I've always looked up to her. Um, but, you know, because she was unapologetic and that's why I've, that's, the way I've lived my life is, is being unapologetic about who I am, you know, and her work is just amazing. It brings me to tears every time, but yes, she, she is definitely my hero. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Thank you so much again, uh, for dealing with technical difficulties. If people, if people want to follow you, if people want to see what you're up to, how do they find you? Okay. So, um, on my Instagram, uh, my handle is Chris cab. It's C H R S. C-A-B. Follow me on Instagram. I'm more active on there than anything else. Um, I post, you know, whatever, um, 
panels I'm doing. You know, I, I, I'm always posting, you know, facts about the LGBTQ plus community and our history. You know, it's very important for me right now to within the community to talk about, you know, our history because our history wasn't taught in, in textbooks or in schools. And, and, you know, you really can't understand a person until you understand their community and where they come from. So I try to be as active as I can, um, you know, through, through social media. Hell yeah. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. Of course. Uh, Hell of a journey, huh? Thanks again to Chris Cabrera for hanging out and sharing so much with us. If you aren't already following Chris, you should. As they said, their feed is not only cocktail stuff, but a lot of true stories of histories we otherwise don't get to hear. If you want to get in touch with me, you can do that at Bartender Atlas on all social media. Thanks for listening. Defund the cops. Be well. You're being you're being so open and so honest, and the internet fucking hates your truth, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just trying to shut it down. <laughs> uh.